Hello and welcome to the Apps You Level podcast, brought to you by Intelligent Briefings, a Lynchpin Media brand. My name is Alex Presley and I'm the lead editor at Lynchpin Media. And I'm Jess Phillips, Director of Strategic Content at Lynchpin Media. This is the podcast where we speak to technology chiefs about how they're making waves in the industry, chatting about their career journey so far, management style and how they're planning for what's yet to come. We hope it will be insightful for aspiring CIOs, CISOs, CEOs, in fact, the entire C-suite. We are delighted to introduce our first ever guest to At Sea Level from a company which most of our listeners will have heard of is Steve Benton, Deputy CISO at BT. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Delighted to be here. In his role at BT, Steve is responsible for protecting BT worldwide. As well as that, he's general manager for BT's global cyber and physical security operations and Citadel program and has more than 15 years security experience. Prior to his operational role, Steve defined and launched the governance, risk and compliance portfolio. He was instrumental in defining BT security, which combines the protection of BT and BT's commercial security services. The first section of the podcast is called Memory Lane, and this is where we take a trip down Memory Lane to find out about our guest career journey to date. This first question does require a little bit of imagination, but let's just pretend, Steve, that you've somehow managed the impossible and created a time machine. You've used that time machine and come face to face with a 16-year-old version of yourself. Possibly the year you finished school, maybe made some big decisions about your future. How would present you describe your current job role to that person? I would say to him, you will not be able to imagine the level of use of computers around the world and how they've all become connected. Um, you're sitting at home, your little BBCB computer, just tapping away in the keyboard, connecting to cassette player to load a piece of software, 32K of memory. You cannot believe the influence that computing will have had across the whole world uh, by the time you get to, to my age. So what you should do is dedicate to yourself, to a life um, in that in that digital tech technology, but recognize as well as as that becomes part of everybody's lives, the security of all of that becomes absolutely vital. So take a career in security, son. Interesting. Thank you. Can you tell us more about your career journey to date and what are the big moments that have led you to where you are now? Sure. Uh, so as I just intimated there as a 16 year old, I was just playing around in the computer. I decided to do a, a GCSE um, in computer science um, in my lower sixth year. So I did it in, in, in a year. Um, mucked about in class, was thrown out of the class, uh, uh, actually, for messing about with the computers and making them make silly noises during the class. Um, so <laughs> I ended up self-teaching myself to my, GC, my GCSE and got an A, which the teacher said there's no justice in this world. Um, but then I continued on to university, uh, followed a, 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 an interesting degree, which brought together computer science as well as physics and electrical engineering. So it was all about how computers are constructed, how you program them, the different types of language, parallel computing, but also how computers will communicate. So all sorts of things around telecommunications and fiber optics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I had a year out then uh, with BT in their software center uh, in Belfast, uh, where I really got sort of lit up in terms of the scope of things that you could do with, with computing and software development. Went back, did my final year, graduated with a first class honours degree and rejoined BT into, into software engineering and started in real time computing, uh, actually in telephone banking, where we were using um, the telephone and voice recognition. This is back in the sort of uh, uh, 1990s. 
uh, to actually access your bank account and do transactions. So it was real leading stuff with the, with the Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, but very interesting using, you know, breaking technologies, but also how people will start to use and interact with um, managing their accounts online rather than walking into, into a branch. Uh, continued working through that, the dot-com boom came um, and I was involved um, when uh, BT created BT Open World and we were running a multi-tenanted ISP environment. So everybody wanted to be an ISP. So Tesco's and, and um, Yellow Pages and all sorts of organizations all wanted to be an internet services provider because it gave them a connection to their customers and giving them the ability to have, be online and do their email and that kind of stuff. There's also dial-up stuff, by the way, so we're not into broadband yet. Uh, but that kind of level of intimacy that, that organizations were now seeing, if they could capture customers as they started their digital journey, they could create a level of intimacy uh, with, those, with those customers. Uh, from there then, uh, there was a massive, as you say, dot-com boom, and there was a real um, lack of um, enough people that were qualified in engineering the whole of the internet. Uh, and BT set up a venture a company to actually attract those sorts of professionals and experts into an organization where we could really respect that expertise and give sort of great careers and advisory and so on around consultancy. So I joined that organization and was business development director uh, there. Um, and as that rolled forward, then I started getting interested in risk because we were starting to see so much more stuff being digitized and going online. All of this information that was growing exponentially was all becoming something that was a risk and difficult to manage. Um, and I started looking at thick uh, implications of things like the Freedom of Information Act, where you could ask an organization in the public sector to give you everything they had on you or everything to do with a particular topic or campaign element that you were interested in. And organizations didn't know how to manage the information. They'd managed to accumulate lots, but they couldn't really manage it. So from there, I got into sort of thinking about information management, but I also then broad, broadly thought about risk. And successful organizations know how to understand risk and manage it and use it to enable them to move forwards. So I got really interested in how organizations look at their operational risk. And I noticed in the banking sector, that's part of the bread and butter of sort of having sort of financial reserves to cope with the ups and downs, potential risk positions you're taking as a bank. And I took that kind of thinking into the IT space as to how do you manage risk across your IT environment, being able to do everything you need to do with all of this digitalization and all the journeys that organizations were starting to, to be on. And it wasn't long before I got interested in security as a risk, the risk from people hacking into organizations and stealing data and, and interrupting service. So that really got me into security and compliance. Um, and I've kind of been there ever since. And um, it's, it's a topic area that there's no day of the week that it isn't interesting and there's not something new that's uh, emerging. And yeah, as you said, I've been involved now in, in cybersecurity for about 15 years. What about then looking back over the last 12 months, obviously there's been numerous challenges, but for you, what would your highlights be both professionally and personally over the last 12 months? I think for professionally um, and being part, part of, 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 of BT, um, I'm really proud in what we've been able to do to enable people to shift almost overnight into staying at home and still being able to connect into their work and be productive. And you know, I know a lot of people have been furloughed and so on, but many people have been able to switch into a home working environment. 
and the ability for our broadband uh, to be up and, and available and to be secure for our, our, our customers and for them to be able you know, to homeschool and use that online learning as well uh, for, for their families. That's something I'm super proud of. I'm also super proud of how we helped in setting up the Nightingale Hospital and the communication that was set around all of that. And across all of this, we've had to keep a very strong eye on what's happening out there in the sort of cybersecurity world. One of the downsides we've seen is a lot of scamming um, and a lot of phishing around the various COVID themes, you know, playing on all of our fears about, you know, oh, I'm working from home, maybe my boss doesn't think I'm being productive. Oh, there's different infection rates happening. The government are starting to do different things about how we, um, we're going to operate. Uh, as an organization and all of the scams have started coming in off, off the back of that. So the work that my team have done in order to get on top of those sorts of scams um, and gather evidence and work with law enforcement in order to bring some of these people to, to justice, but also to destroy the value of what they're trying to achieve in by making our employees more aware, but also helping our customers to be more aware and really try and have everybody's back uh, around that. And we don't often in BT talk about our, you know, how much we do around security, but we do an awful lot. And we're we're working very closely with the NCSC, the National Cyber Security Centre, in our joint mission, you know, that we share, you know, with the other communications providers here in the UK to make the UK the safest place to be online. And we block millions of malicious domains um, every, every day uh, uh, to prevent a lot of the harm and the badness that, that, that's out there you know, becoming active here in, in the UK. From a professional home sort of experience, it's been great to be home with a family in a, in a way. Uh, I've two grown up uh, daughters. So actually this year, my eldest daughter fully qualified as a pharmacist. Um, and she's, she's had no holidays this year at all because of the demands um, on, on the health services um, and, you know, being able to look after customers and get them, you know, the, the prescriptions that they, that they need to look after themselves. My younger daughter, she's um, doing a master's in clinical psychology, and she's been really frustrated because she's had to do it all online, all from home, hasn't been able to do the sort of the field work that's part of the master's uh, degree. And so I feel for anyone that's studying at, at this time, you know, how restricting uh, the, these experiences are. But it's been nice to be with, with the family, a bit frustrating not to be out there with a lot of colleagues and, and customers and so on, and having to do everything, you know, through these screens that we keep staring at. Yeah, we've all learned to appreciate the little things in life. <laughs> Very much so, yes. So that brings us to the second section of the podcast then, The Chief, which is where we find out more about your management and training style. Now, I think working for an organisation such as BT, we can imagine the entire C-suite is pretty on board with cybersecurity. But what would your advice be to others in your position when it comes to the best approach for communicating your area of expertise with the wider C-suite? Sure, you've got to be connected to your business and you've got to be connected to the personalities that run your, your business. Often security has a reputation of being the ministry of no, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't. And everyone sort of says, well, cracky, you know, if I go to security and ask about this, it's going to slow me down. Actually, you know, considering security early on allows you to move forward with confidence rapidly and sustain that position and that piece of market growth without it necessarily being undone by, you know, an, an attack or a service interruption or, you know, a, a data breach, you know, at, at the very worst uh, extent. So being in touch with your uh, leadership team, 
and what the business direction is, being able to show how making the infrastructure secure and helping colleagues to work in a secure way and serve your customers in a, in a secure way is actually a differentiator and a strength for you as an organization. And continue have a continuous narrative of what the threat situation is for your organization. What are the things we should be starting to think about? What are the sort of architectures that we need to be moving towards? Uh, so that you're not just there in the midst of an incident, you're there as a constant part of the story, which is part of the enablement of your business to confidently take risks and, and grow. I think the homeworking issue is something, well, I don't know if you'd call it an issue, but it's something that CISOs are trying to decipher with their teams at the moment, isn't it? That's something that we keep seeing cropping up quite often. It very much is. And I we're not going to return back to where we were as, as a work mode. I think all organisations are going to continue with, let's call it a hybrid way of working. And in fact, a smart way of working where you're actually thinking about when we come together into our office, you know, we'll be there for a purpose. There's a reason we've all uh, come in together to be together uh, today. And there's other types of work where, you know what, we don't need necessarily to be in the office. We could do this from home. Now, that's going to help organisations to manage that return where you're having to do a, you know, more spread out um, seating arrangements and, and other things as we continue to have the, the restrictions. But also recognising it is giving people a flexibility. It's giving people a sort of a, a grown up accountability for the best places to do their work. Now, that's great. But how do you ensure that we maintain these things as being secure? Because one of the things that we found as we shifted very quickly out into a home working environment is you've got some people that were very used to being in the office. And if something strange arrived in their email inbox, they could look left or look right and say, I've just received this email. Do you think this is all right? Or did you get that? Now you're isolated and you're kind of having to make these decisions on, on your own. So we did a lot of work with our people to, to help them switch on their human firewall, as, as, as we call it, so that you can look critically at what you've, you've received, think about is this normal, do some sort of checks, and basically get a three-word mantra of stop, think, protect. So it's like pause for a minute, think about what it is in front of you, understand it, what can I do to validate that to be sure? And that's the bit, that's the protect word. You're actually taking a positive action to be sure what you're looking at here is valid. It's something that you can respond to. And if it's something you're worried about, that your security team have your back. And that's what I always say to everyone here in BT is that we are here, I'll borrow the New York PD, protect and serve. Uh, that's what we're here for. So even if we're catching you in the moment before, which is great because we can advise you, but if it's the moment after you've done something, you're going, oh, you know the way you do that sometimes. You do something and it's in that split second afterwards, you go, hold on a minute, I'm not sure about that, that people will reach out in that moment because no matter when it happens, we will help. Kind of navigating that kind of fear factor, isn't it? And making sure people know if they report, that's fine. That's what we want. We want to hear what's gone wrong and then we can rectify it. It is because at the end of the day, you as an individual, even as you know, in my role, I can't know everything that's that's uh, coming towards us. I do my best, but sometimes you know your 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 best observations can come from your employees that are receiving it, that are getting the strange experience, that are maybe being contacted by somebody they shouldn't, or they're in a contact center and they're getting these phone calls coming in, and you can see that they're trying to bend the normal validation. They're playing on the emotion. Because a lot of the stuff we, we tended to see was some call-ins where they're trying to, 
to get the the, the, the uh, a contact center person to abandon the normal verification to ensure they're speaking to the right person. I mean, I'm sure you've phoned into places and they say, I've got some security questions for you, blah, blah, blah. They would use sometimes the emotion of where we're all in COVID to say, you know, I'm panicked and, uh, you know, I can't reach down so I don't have that information. You Can you just do this for me? And everybody wants to be a hero. And unfortunately, what we've seen is that a lot of the criminal organizations out there have latched on to one, that we're all now working remotely, that you've got people that are doing customer contact and they're wanting to be the hero for their their, their customer. And they're they're playing on that in the most despicable ways in order to, to, you know, to do their fraud and commit their crime. I think at the moment it's kind of... It's new. It's new way of working for everybody, isn't it? So it's a bit like the blind leading the blind at the moment, and everybody's doing a bit of trial and error to try and decipher the best yeah. results. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So we're doing our best to put as much protection as we can into the devices and the endpoints that people are, are using. You know, at, at home, giving them advice on how to secure, you know, their their home because your home is now your office. You know, so. You know, be careful about you know where you're working, who can see in the in 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 the windows, um, stuff that you might be printing printing off, and then that gets stacked in with some other stuff. You know, on the worktop in the kitchen, and next thing that stuff gets dumped in in the normal bin, and you've maybe printed something that's sensitive out, and it's now in the in the rubbish. And do you know what I mean? Just things you have to think about. You're in a different place. You're working a different way, but the, still the ways of working and what you would do in the office, you need to sort of create that same discipline in your home environment. And then when we start moving back to the office, well, we're kind of not used to being back in the office, so we might not be displaying our pass cards or we might be you know, freely talking about stuff on the train or the bus as we're going in or somebody's overlooking our screen. So things that we haven't thought about for 12 months, we now need to reawaken again. So this human firewall piece is kind of an ongoing engagement that we have with all of our employees here in BT. Interesting. Thank you. And what would you say then is the best advice that a manager has ever given you and how has that changed or fitted into your own management style? There's two pieces of advice that I've, I've been given that I've, I've held on to. One is about, uh, about being authentic and having integrity, that um, people will respect you and follow you and listen to you if, if they believe that you know you have the integrity, that you act honestly, um, that you 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 don't have uh, vengeful sides uh, to you, so that you are you've got that integrity and you you have the empathy and you're seeing you know the effect of of, of how you operate and the emotions of the people that are around you, right? And that's that con- that connection is a vital part of le- leadership because you need that. You need to f- they need to feel that you've got their back as much as you hope. And expect them to have your back as you as you move forward, especially in security, because security can be excruciatingly challenging. Uh, and when you're dealing with a, an incident and you're trying to you know figure out you know what's actually happened here, what's the level of harm, what do we need need, need to do, um, you know there, there can be a lot of fear around the table and people fearful of making the wrong decision. But decision paralysis will be the worst thing that can happen to you in the midst of incidents. So people have got to know that they can they can have confidence in you. The other thing is then about using your time wisely. So again, um, as you sort of get more responsibility, uh, you've got to start then, uh, you know, using the team around you to, to, to take on some of the aspects that you now need to sort of give you know, accountability to others for, give that level of trust. 
and be specific about where you're going to focus your time for the role that you've, you've actually got. So work out what's good use of your time, what's poor use of your time, what could be done by others within, within your team. Um, so time management, integrity, very important. We run a feature across the three magazines that I'm editor for, and it's a kind of like a get to know, more, more relaxed style feature that we do. And we ask a similar question for that feature. And people often say that they consider themselves as part of the team as opposed to a manager. And it's something that comes up quite often. And I always think that's quite a nice way to look at it and look at the position that people just consider themselves on the same level as their team and everybody mucks in together. And I think that's just a nice way to be. It is a lovely way to be. And the other piece of that is, is then when it does come to that, to those more itchy, scratchy moments with other stakeholders, that the team knows that you go, you go into bat for the team. And that's part of the integrity piece, that you're not managing a different profile upwards into the organization than what you have with your team. And, you know, integrity is massive. If, if there's doubts on your integrity, you lose your team very, very fast. So what would you say keeps you up at night and how do you wind down outside of work? I guess what keeps me uh, up at night is, is thinking about the threat environment. Um, so when we look at you know the environment that that BT has, um, you know as as a global um, telecommunications operator, we're part of the critical national infrastructure uh, here in the UK. We're a broadband pr- provider. We're a mobile provider. We're an entertainment provider. Um, just thinking about what could threaten that, um, and what do we need to do to protect those services, to protect our customers and to protect my colleagues and, and the employees right the way uh, around the world and all the jurisdictions and everywhere in which we operate. So thinking about how things are shifting into those that would want to do us harm or exploit us. So everything from hacktivists is what it used to be in the day, you know, people hacking your websites and stuff like that. But, you know, this criminality has massively moved into this space as, as organizations moved into digital relationships with suppliers and with their customers. The criminals have recognized that for very low risk, they can probably make quite a lot of money. And that's, that, that's why they're here. Uh, so just always thinking about what is the next thing that's happening in terms of threat? How is it going to hit us as, a, as an organization? And because of BT and its size and what we do in terms of protecting the UK and our government and so on, we're obviously a target for nation state uh, actors as well, as a lot of big organizations are. And we've seen that in the press over the last while with the things like solar winds and um, you know, mo- most recently the attacks on, on the uh, Microsoft's on-premise exchange. Uh, you know, the nation state level is also very prevalent there as well. But these are the threat levels that I, I sort of worry about, thinking about are we looking at the right things? Um, have I got my threat hunting teams proactively uh, understanding and researching these sort of threats? Because what I want to be is an intelligence-led security organization. So we're strong when we're taking grip of a situation that's actually unfolding. But more importantly, we're looking forward to see what are the next things that could threaten us as an organization and, and staying on top of that. How do I unwind? Um, well, I unwind with my, uh, my, my family. I have a... I try to have a a ritual that allows me to sort of disconnect from the working day and move into the evening. And for a lot of us, that's that's usually a a commute of some sort, but we don't have the commute anymore. It could be just walking from one room into another, Um, or it might literally be closing the lid on the laptop and putting it to one side, right? And 
you've got to try and establish a new ritual, which is like your commute, um, but allows you kind of to switch gears. Uh, so discipline, I find, my experience last 12 months is vitally important. You've got to take those devices and put them a little bit out of arm's reach. So if you're physically just a bit separated, you can then flip into your evenings. Um, I like things like archery, um, a bit restricted and the ability to be able to do that. So I love field archery, but that's been a, a bit restricted. I do play the guitar, um, so I'm a bit of a musician. So uh, I'd reconnected with some of my old bandmates and we were starting to, to replay some of our, our old tunes, start to you know, get those onto Garage Band, and then again, interrupted by, by COVID. Um, so yeah, those sorts of things, they, they do help me unwind. And exercise, get into a discipline of getting some decent exercise, getting out some fresh air as well, because it's just very easy to just start to become very insular and just stay within your, your four walls. Um, and uh, you've got to just try and, within the restrictions, do everything you can to get outside of those four walls. Far too easy to stay inside. Some weeks you'll get to Saturday and think, oh my goodness, I haven't left the house all week. So yeah. You as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the next section of the podcast is called Getting Down to Business. And this is where we find out how our guest is planning their strategy for the year ahead. Um, we've already said that it's been a very testing year for everyone what are your plans for staying afloat in 2021 amid the uncertainty, the ongoing uncertainty caused by the pandemic? Well, we're very much thinking ahead towards what will return to the office look like for us as an organisation um, and how we're going to plan that safely and uh, securely. So may I look after the physical security uh, of our estate as well? Um, so ensuring that, we've, of course, we've been plenty of our people have been in the offices the whole time. So we've got, you know, 999 contact centres and so on. Uh, that all has to have stayed where it was. But now those places are going to see colleagues starting to return into those uh, spaces as well. So ensuring that we do that in, in a planned way, uh, ensure that we sort of recognise that we're going to have to flex. And so that flexibility uh, to be able to sort of be returned to the office, but maybe having to take a step back, you know, in case there is a local restriction that, that, that comes into play. So... All of that flexibility is massively important. Ensuring that my people are aware in terms of the security risks. So as we've now sort of done all the briefings around working from home, now thinking about return to the office and what does that look like and how do we maintain uh, the, the security around that. More broadly, um, it's really thinking about um, moving forward in terms of our security our architectures. So um, there's a lot of work we're doing around zero trust. Um, how we sort of um, secure our, our endpoints and how we secure our service. So it's a continuing rolling out of the security architectures and, and principles we want into the organisation. Me as a blue team, I want to create more visibility um, across the estate. I want to be bringing that information in, utilising the benefits we have of what we call our ringside seats. So being a, a, a multinational communications provider, we see the internet at the ringside. Um, so we, we see interesting things cropping up there. And we've made a big investment um, over the last five years in, in a big data solution that allows us to understand all of that interesting stuff around where stuff is going from and to and the sorts of protocols and how things crop up. And there's needles in the haystack that give you indicators of things that are malicious. And we want to try and get on those faster uh, to be able to close those down. Again, making it more difficult for the bad guys 
in terms of the level of investment that they will have to put into play to get something that's going to work, but it's going to be found quickly enough that that investment then leads to nothing in terms of um, payout. And you're really then attacking their whole business model at, at, at that point. And, and that's really the stance that I want to have is the ability to be uh, you know, strong in the reaction, but very much be about proactive and even predictive security. So if I look into the next 12 months, the sort of the North Star goal I have is how far can we get into the predictive security using machine learning, artificial intelligence, big data? Uh, those are the things that uh, my team are thinking about at the moment. So as we've discussed, um, the past year has been crazy for a lot of us. But how have the last 12 months compared to previous years for your business in particular? Um, I would say the last 12 months have been uh, busier than the previous 12 months. So um, some, some of it is to do, just to do with the improvements in uh, some of the security tooling that's out there and, and the data it can bring back and how you utilize that. So um, that's really great for us. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want not to have that, but it's how do you consume that? How do you get that into your current team size and make sense of it and use it effectively and efficiently? So um, we've been busier than we have in, in, in previous years. We've had a lot to do because our whole organization, and just again, just bear in mind that we operate right around the world, and all around the world, we had different lockdowns coming in at different times. And so we had to organize, you know, people to be able to work from home and figure out how different types of tra transaction and different personas could be done safely and securely from home. So it's been ridiculously busy for us as an organization. However, we have learned a lot. We've, we've managed to do things faster than we would have imagined we ever could and there's a moment where you have to look over your shoulder and remember that, yeah, we were able to do that. You know, that, that, that's interesting. So, so why was it we were able to go so uh, quickly at that? And did, did we leave anything behind that we needed to tidy up? So then if we're doing this again, what would better look like as a way to do that both swiftly and ensure that we don't have the few of the rough ends at the end to, to, to tidy up on it? Um, and the other thing, of course, then is by having done that, then have we set an appetite with our broader stakeholders that we can always do things at this pace. Um, because I know talking to colleagues, there was a lot of teams, a lot of security teams, a lot of IT teams who were literally working round the clock in order to support this. And you know that's not, not sustainable for, for any team. Uh, so we've got to get back to a, a new level of um, normality, take stock of what we've learned, and then build that forward into how, how we operate. You mentioned before how looking ahead, you'll be looking to tools like machine learning, artificial intelligence, for example, and kind of using that human firewall and the tech together um, in, as a security force, essentially. How, how else or how impacted has your innovation strategy been? Um, and, and kind of, are there any other technologies that you would be planning or think should be shaping or being part of CISO strategies over the coming years? I think, um, I think we're, what we're, we've been looking at in innovation here in BT security um, is uh, where we are using the understanding of the threat environment, using the, this ringside seat I, I talked about to give you sort of an intelligence of where the threat is moving towards. 
been rapidly able to translate that into indicators of compromise, indicators of attack, that you can then turn that into rule sets and protections and detections and proactive threat hunts on, on the estate. I think we're at a tipping point um, through our innovation where that can become a reality. But to the point at which ultimately, and I talk about, um, everyone talks about SOAR, security, um, orchestration and, and, and automation. So where you can actually fundamentally automate a lot of those activities, freeing up your security teams to look at the more challenging and, and maybe stuff that needs more human analytics. So it's where you're going human in the loop to human on the loop to human off the loop. And when they're off the loop, um, I don't know whether, whether you're, a, you're a fan of the, the, the sci-fi films, but if, if you like Iron Man, right, and, and creating the Jarvis, right, that sits sits around you and helps you to make sense of this big world of, of threat and information and it's bringing the more interesting things to your attention so that you can analyze them. Uh, so as we do that automation piece, we're freeing our people up then to utilize that machine learning, to use that artificial intelligence as the assistant to analyze some of the more complex things that up to now we haven't had enough time to dedicate to. And then as we understand those, well, guess what? We'll automate those as well. Okay, thank you very much. So that brings us to the final section of the podcast where we hand over to you, Steve. You're going to have two minutes in against the clock where you can speak uninterrupted on your area of expertise for two minutes. The main thing to bear in mind is what one thing or lesson you'd like to share with other CISOs. Are you ready? <laughs> so I will start the timer and you'll hear it go off after the two minutes. Off you go. Okay, well, I'm fundamentally going to talk about humans and the human firewall. As we roll forward, no matter what else we put into our organizations, at the end of the day, the easiest target for any actor will be the people that work for you. And your people, therefore, as much as you try and protect them and give them technologies that are, that are zero trust and all that, at the end of the day, they are trusted to do actions on your estate. So they have the trust key that goes into your organization. So you've got to make the investment in your people to make them aware of the sort of threats that are around them. And those threats will come from what they leak about themselves in terms of the rules that they do, potentially their presence on, on social media, and approaches will be tailored and, and put towards them that will get in the in middle of their heads and make them think that they need to act swiftly on something that's right in front of them. So the ability to switch on their human firewall to, a, to a, something that's very simple to remember in terms of stop, think, protect, is a vital piece of how you need your people to operate. Switch on their human firewall, they're taking sense of their environment, uh, what the work that they do, what's normal for what they see and how they trust and verify what they, what they receive is the key challenge for all CISOs. Because if you can have your human firewall up and running, um, then your technology and your technical protections will work all the more effectively for you. We all know it. We all know that most of the badness that happens for us in organizations comes through phishing emails and attachments and malware that's brought in by our own people, not because they want to, but because they get tricked. Switch on the human firewall. Okay, thank you. Thanks, you great have 20 advice. seconds left if you'd like. <laughs> 20 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I have one more question, which isn't yeah, seriously related, so we might cut this, but... Um, you mentioned Iron Man. You, does this mean you're a Marvel fan? I do enjoy the Marvel films. I think they're fantastic. They're good. They're, they? <laughs> the, 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 the roller coaster of the story, the humor. Um, uh, they're great. Love them. And, and 
total escapism. Have you been watching the new series, One Division? The finale today, that's that. why I mentioned it. Oh, no, I haven't, haven't got to that yet. So as usual, you know, that's one of the things with lockdown. You start watching all of these things and you just get a growing backlog of stuff that you haven't got to yet. So, yeah, I'm going to have to get there. Yeah, it's on the list for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us and our listeners. It's been super interesting. Thank you. You're very welcome. Stay safe, stay secure. Unfortunately, it's time to bring the podcast to a close. To our guest, Steve Benton, Deputy CSO at BT, and to our listeners, thanks for being with us and we'll look forward to chatting with you again soon.